0: Let's get in the Word. Matthew chapter 6. Matthew. Matthew chapter 6. Hallelujah. God is so good. You agree with me on that? There is so much that He has done. Yet he, can st- he still continues to do more. He still continues to do more in our lives. He still continues to present more to us. And I am in awe of what God is doing through this church. I'm in awe of what he's doing in your lives. Um, you know, in these short three years that God has had us here in Valdosta, we've seen so much take place. Um, in Multiple people's lives we've seen families restored we've seen marriages renewed we've seen people come back to a personal relationship with their king understanding the purpose of what we are to do and, and really that's all that we could ask for in in ministry and in what we're doing the results whether they're small or big you know we we've just really got to learn to see things the way God sees them you know. God doesn't see small and big. God doesn't compartmentalize things. He doesn't say, well, that's just a small problem. He doesn't say that's a big problem. God doesn't have big problems. And God doesn't have small problems. That's why he said in uh, Mark chapter 11, he said, a mustard seed can move a mountain. What's he saying? He's saying it's in your eyes that you see one thing really small and one thing really big but to me it's all the same the small thing can remove the big thing and that's just exciting to me you know because in our minds we we see a small seed and then we see a huge mountain but in God's eyes the small seed can move the huge mountain no matter what problem we're facing no matter what we're going through when we see it through God's eyes everything looks the same it doesn't matter And so, you know, it's amazing, you know, when we look past over these last three years, I mean, I've just been in reflection, so you're just going to have to flow with me here a little bit. Um, You know, you you, you know how you get to those moments, you get to birthdays, you get to anniversaries, you get to, you know, specific dates, and you just think back. I mean, for me, this is ten years since I made the big jump and, and went from Texas to Florida that completely put me on the the course that I'm on today and so this whole year has been this way for me but you know in in three short years to see what God has done um, has been phenomenal and uh, some of you know what I'm talking about because you were there personally you are one of those that you know you wouldn't be doing what you're doing today had it not been for uh, the message of the kingdom and 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 the the purpose being brought back in and the conversations that we've had and the in-your-face stuff that we've had in um, those small little moments. You know, there's a reason why God was always trying to get his people to remember stuff. There's a reason for that. God tells us to forget not. He tells us to renew our minds. He tells us to think on. He tells us what not to think on. There's something about your minds that if you can get it in a routine of remembering his faithfulness, it sets you on a course nothing can stop you and that's just exciting and that's just where i'm at right now um in in that in knowing that god there's nothing that can stop what god is doing in this church there's nothing that can stop what god has set us on a course to do and um it's just it's just exciting i'm just overwhelmed so go with me to matthew chapter 16 or matthew chapter six i'm sorry matthew chapter six Today, I want to talk to you about the breeding ground of expectation, the breeding ground of expectation. I believe that God cannot move without expectation. I believe that our level of expectation determines his level of movement in our lives. And so with that means that we've got to get ourselves in a position of expecting something from God. Now, expectation, there are many things that can hinder expectation. And we're going to look at some some of those things today. Because I believe that if we can properly see the hindrances, the things that keep us from expecting a move of God, that we can position ourselves to always be in expectation of what God wants to do. How many of you believe that God is moving today in the earth? He's doing things then why is it sometimes we live like he's nowhere to be found? (laughs) Why is it sometimes we say things out of anxiety like God doesn't understand what's going on? Why is it sometimes that we make decisions hastily and and, uh, uh, quickly without waiting to see what God wants to do? Sometimes we go through life, you know, we know God is everywhere, but yet we live life like God is nowhere. Um, and, you know, religion has really positioned us for this. Religion has put us in a posture of you have to wait till you get somewhere to experience God. And we have songs that talk about it. You know, we have songs that talk about when we all get to heaven, we see the glory. And and and, and God never meant for heaven to be a place that we go to to experience it. God meant to be a, for Uh, heaven to be a place that we bring to the earth and help others experience it this is what jesus talked about that's why he said repent for the kingdom of god is at hand what does that mean at hand it means it's within your reach it's mean as as far as you can reach that's the kingdom jesus even went a step further and said the kingdom of god is within you but religion has put us in a posture of we just have to wait till we die and leave this earth Before we could truly experience God and truly experience heaven. And so there's an expectation that God uh, requires for him to move in. And so if our expectation is only of something happening in the future but not happening today, then it's no wonder we're not seeing a lot of the results that we know we can see and that people saw in the Bible. People saw results in the Bible because there was an expectation that if I do this, if I believe this, if I know this, it will produce something within me. And so look at Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6, verse 22. It says, The lamp of the body is the eye. If therefore your eye is good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? If your eye is good, your whole body will be full of light. If your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. Now we know that the eyes are given for what? Sight. To see things. Okay? The eyes that are physically in our body right now are there so we can see things naturally. Now, how many of you uh, wear glasses or prescription lenses? (laughs) Some people are pointing at other people. Probably because they've been in situations where they haven't been able to see very well and they've said, you need to go get you some glasses. You need to go get some lenses, That will help do what? What do lenses do? They put things in focus. They help you see better. Okay? We've all, uh, through some form, whether directly or indirectly, come to understand that sometimes our eyes aren't good. A bad eye helps you, or uh, a bad eye keeps you from seeing things clearly. But then we get lenses put on. That help us see clearly. I mean, you know, I wear glasses and I wear prescription lenses. They do the same thing. They help me see clearly. Without them, you don't want me on the road. You don't want me, you know, trying to help you find something. You don't want me trying to help you point something out. You don't want to ask me, hey, what does that sign say over there? Without the lenses, you don't want me doing that. But... When I've got the lenses on that correct my vision, help me see clearly, now I can, Now things have been brought into focus and I can help direct things. So he says, if your eye is good, your body will be full of light. The body responds to what the eye sees. But if your eye is bad, your body will be full of Darkness. Now, light and darkness in the Bible uh, most often refer to knowledge and ignorance. A lot of times in the Bible, when light is spoken of, they're saying there's knowledge attained. But darkness refers to the lack of knowledge or what we call ignorance, not knowing something. So, if the eye is good... Our whole body's full of light. If the eye is good, there's knowledge. We know something. Knowledge is a result of seeing things clearly. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. Ignorance is a result of not seeing things clearly. We see this. So there is a, uh, there is a need for us to see things the way they really are. There is a necessity for us to see things clearly. Now, there's a word that we use when you see things clearly. It's called to recognize. Recognition. And what we've got to understand is recognition breeds expectation. Until I recognize something for what it is, I cannot properly have an expectation for what it can give me. We see this. I don't believe that we're not seeing God move today because he's not moving. And just about every hand up went up in this room when I said, do you believe God is moving? I don't believe that we're missing God because he's not moving. I believe we're missing God because we're not looking. We're not recognizing something but if we can help our recognition we can better our expectation so therefore recognition determines what we receive what i receive from god what i receive from a move of god determines is determined by my ability to recognize a move of god to recognize him when he's moving as he's moving my ability to recognize god is determined by my ability to focus and see clearly what he's doing the eye is the lamp of the body that means the eye is what is telling me the eye is communicating to me what's in front of me that's what the eyes function is for naturally speaking Naturally speaking, the eye is is part of my body to help me determine what I'm looking at, what's in front of me, where I'm going. The eye does this. And so a bad eye hinders me from knowing where I'm going, from knowing what's in front of me. And when I don't know what's in front of me, then I can't properly expect anything from it. So go over to John chapter 4. We're going to see this in action. We're going to see this in action. Because the eye works in conjunction with something else. Your eye works in conjunction with your mind. So your eye sees something, but it's your mind that processes what you see. The expectation is eventually determined by the mind. But my mind can only process what the eye sees. You follow me? Oh, is this too big on a Wednesday night? Maybe I should have saved this one for Sunday. <laughs> the mind processes what the eye sees. Therefore, I, I, it's not just up to my eye, but the eye is the starting point. If the eye is bad... I'm ignorant. I'm full of darkness. The mind cannot process what the eye does not see. So, John chapter 4, we are going to visit Jesus, who goes through a town called Samaria. And starting with verse 1, it says, Therefore, when the Lord, when the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, though Jesus himself did not baptize but his disciples... He left Judea and departed again to Galilee, but he needed to go through Samaria. So he came to the city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now, Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being weary from his journey, sat by the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman of Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Then the woman of Samaria said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. So right off the bat, we see this woman is identifying Jesus. Now we all know, and many other people came to know, that Jesus wasn't just A man wasn't just a Jew, wasn't just the son of somebody or the brother of somebody. Jesus was the son of God, the Messiah, the promised one. Okay, Many people by this point have already come to recognize this. But this woman sees Jesus. But if the eye is bad... The mind is full of darkness. This woman is ignorant of who Jesus really is. She sees Jesus as a Jew. What happens is is she has been given a lens because she's a Samaritan woman. And Samaritan women have a lens of Jewish men. She's got a lens of a Jewish man that has no dealings with Samaritans. Not only that, but Jewish men didn't associate with women in public. So this woman is looking at Jesus through a lens. Um, And many of you that wear glasses, you have been to a doctor, to an eye doctor called an optometrist, and... Uh, have sat behind this mechanism that they bring over and they sit in front of your face that has two holes. And they, you look through it and they can flip this glass to try to determine what type of prescription you need so you can see clearly. Now, as they're going through this process, sometimes you get bad lenses. And you have to let them know, because they'll ask you, which is better, A or B? One or two? How about three? Oh, three is better. Okay, how about three and two? And they'll flip this thing and play around until they get it just right. And you can see the little letters at the end of the wall. That were just blobs before they placed this thing in front of your face. And so what happens is, is sometimes we get lenses that are skewed. Sometimes we get lenses put on us that don't allow us to see as clearly. See, lenses don't always help you. Sometimes lenses hurt you. And what we have to recognize is that our ability to recognize when God is moving is sometimes hindered by the lenses that are placed on us as we go through life. See, some of you may have not had a great childhood. Maybe you came from, uh, you know, a, a broken marital relationship. You saw your father and your mother split from an early age, and so you have a skewed relationship of what a godly kingdom marriage should look like. That's a lens. You've just had a lens placed on you, and that lens has hurt you, not helped you. So now we've got to get behind God's revealing mechanism, and we've got to determine how we can get a better lens. Why? Because I need to recognize what a godly marriage looks like. I need to go to the Word. Because the word will always give me clarity. The word will always help me identify. The word will always ha- help me recognize. So we see this Samaritan woman. She sees Jesus through a skewed lens. He's a Jewish man that does not, have associate with, does not associate with me. In essence, she says this. You have nothing to offer me. But how many of you believe Jesus has something to offer? Everybody. How is it that you, being a Jew, ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Look at verse 10. Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew (laughs) the gift of God. Don't you sometimes just want to tell that to people in your life? They write you off, man. Because they have eschewed lens you're uneducated you don't have a degree you didn't go to school long long enough You, you came you came from a broken family you don't make enough money and they put on a lens where they don't recognize what you really have to offer and they write you off maybe it's people that have known you for a long time and they look at you through the lens of everything you used to do in your past and that's all they see is someone that they used to smoke with and drink with. Someone they used to run wild with. And that's all they see. And now all of a sudden you're preaching kingdom. You're telling them you can change your life. I, I, I've got an answer for you. You can make things better. And they're saying, you? You can do something for me? Why? Because they have the lens on them. And that's, those are the times you just want to say, if you just knew the gift of God that's sitting right in front of you. And who it is who says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. So her inability to recognize who Jesus is has hindered her expectation of what Jesus can bring. Her lack of recognition has developed within her a lack of expectation there's no expectation within this woman this woman does not see this man as a miracle worker this woman does not see jesus as someone that can turn her life around in fact when she looked at jesus she saw the problem as being jesus a jewish man but we're about to find out that her problem wasn't jesus The problem was with her, and he actually had the answer to her problems. Verse 11, the woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where then do you get that living water? Look at verse 12. Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as well as his son's? And his livestock. Now, God referred to himself many times as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And she's asking, are you greater? Well, he could have easily answered, why, yes, I am. <laughs> I am God in the flesh. I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, in Jacob, and Jesus did this one time over in John chapter 8. He's got a big old dissertation with the Pharisees. And they say, are you saying that you're greater than our father Abraham? And he says, uh, yep, I am. You got it right. Why? Because a lack of expectation or a lack of recognition breeds a lack of expectation. She has no expectation. And so she asks silly questions like, are you greater than our father jacob well i'm actually the father of jacob i'm actually the one that put him in this planet jesus answered and said to her whoever drinks of this water will thirst again but whoever drinks of the water that i shall give him will never thirst but the water that i shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life what he's saying is is you ought to have a deeper expectation of what I have to give you. But because you don't recognize what's in front of you. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water that I may not thirst, nor come here to draw. So now she's starting to develop a little bit of a need. Sometimes you've got to need and want what God has for you. Sometimes we 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 say we want a manifestation of God, but yet we still go to... Natural ways to accomplish something. To to really truly want what God has for you, you've got to put yourself in a posture. You've got to put yourself in a position to receive from him. Do we really want it? Do we really want what God has? You know, there's times, you know, that I'll go to the store with my son Camden. He's three and a half years old and he thinks he wants everything. So, you know, we get into Target, and they have a little dollar section right up front. So the first thing he sees is, I want a blue icy, and I want something from the dollar section. I mean, it's just he knows it. If we're on Norman, he knows. Target's in the area. We are within a mile radius of this place. I want a blue icy, and I'm going to hit the dollar section. So, you know, we go through the dollar section, and I want this. And two seconds later, he'll put that down and find something else. I want this. I really want this. I want this, Daddy. I want this. Okay. So we'll do a little test. We'll find out how badly do you want it. And so I'll let him get it, and we'll sit in the cart, and we'll walk around. And as we're going along, when he forgets that thing is there, yeah, I'm that guy that will leave stuff in random places. (laughs) I pull it out of the cart, leave it in the electronics section next to the iPads, because that's usually where we end up, is over by that section. I've probably left so many dollar items in the electronics section, I'm the culprit, I'm the guy. Uh, There's a water gun sitting in the iPad section right now that someone hasn't found yet, probably. But I'll pull it out. How badly did he want it? Because he never brought it up for the rest of the ride. He doesn't even know that we just left the store, went home, and you don't have your water gun that you said you had to have. But no, when you want something, you're not letting it go. You put yourself in a posture of this is mine. I'm going to have it. There's an expectation so now you start to see some desire start to show up. Verse 16, Jesus said to her, go call your husband and come here. Now Jesus starts to get to work. He thought he was just going to come here and just get a drink of water, mind his own business. My disciples are getting me some food. Let's just do this thing. And now he's really about to make something happen. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you have well said. I have no husband for you have had five husbands. The one whom you have now is not your husband in that you spoke truly. Now watch her next words. The woman said to him, sir. I perceive. That you are a prophet. So now Jesus moves in an extraordinary way. And her lens changes. One or two? Two or three? What's he doing? Now he's really beginning to tighten up. Now she's beginning to recognize. Now we can really see some expectation show up. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain. And you Jews say that in Jerusalem is the place where one ought to worship. Jesus said to a woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We know what we worship for salvation is of the Jews, but the hour is coming and now is when true worship Worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship Him. God is spirit. And those who worship Him must worship Him in spirit and truth. The woman said to Him, I know that Messiah is coming When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you, am he. Revelation of who God is. Revelation of what was right in front of her the whole time. And now recognition breeds expectation. Her ability to recognize who was in front of her, and what he had to offer, developed an expectation. You're the Messiah. You're the one. You're the one we've been waiting for. You're the one that we thought we've been worshiping. She goes on down and ends up going into the town, telling everybody that she has seen the Messiah, Saves her family, brings Jesus into the town. An open door shows up because one woman was able to recognize what was in front of her. This need and necessity to recognize what is in front of us is so vital if we are going to see God move in our lives. How many times do we miss a move of God in our lives because we just didn't recognize when he moved? But every time I recognize him moving, I now am presented with an opportunity to expect something great from him. Look at Mark chapter 6. We see this same theory take place in Mark chapter 6. Jesus grew up just like anybody else, as a child, with a family. He ended up taking a job with his dad and worked with his dad in the family business of carpentry. Looked like just a normal human being, like each of us. Verse 1 says, Then he went out from there and came to his own country. And his disciples followed him. And when the Sabbath had come, he began to teach in the synagogue. And many hearing him were astonished, saying, Where did this man get these things? And what wisdom is this which is given to him, that such mighty works are performed by his hands? So they see what Jesus is doing. They see his actions. They even get a glimpse into what he has to offer. But I want to tell you right now that if you miss who he is, you won't receive what he has. If you write off the person, you don't receive the gift that they have on the inside. We've talked about that before. The treasure is buried in a field. And if you disregard the field, you don't get the treasure. We've talked about that. And so we see here, as they keep going, is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon, and are not his sisters here with us? And they were offended at him. Now, offended people don't receive anything from the person they're offended at. That's why offense is so dangerous. Because it cuts you off from the supply, the gift that they have to offer you. When you get offended at someone, you don't see the gift that they have. Well, they, don't, they ain't got no gift for me. You don't know what they did. That's your problem. You're offended. You can't receive. If they spoke a word of truth to you, even by the Holy Spirit, without even their own recognizance of what they were saying, without even knowing what they were saying, you wouldn't receive it because you wrote the person off. And so they get offended at Jesus, the miracle worker, the one that is speaking such great sayings, the one that has great wisdom in everything that he is speaking, performing signs and wonders by his hands, they say. Yet they don't receive it. Look at verse 4. But Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his own country, among his own relatives, and in his own house. Now, he could do no mighty work. That is in the Bible. I did not put that in there. Jesus could do no mighty work, except he laid his hands on a few sick people. Well, you might say, well, he still heals some people. Well, look at the other accounts where he heals everybody. Heals all that are sick. And afflicted with disease. Heals all manner of disease and sickness. Everywhere he went. So what happened? Somebody put on a lens. Their inability to see clearly hindered their ability to expect what he had. They put on a brother lens. They put on a son lens. Lens They put on the carpenter lens. Isn't he just a carpenter, the son of Mary? So they write off the individual. They don't see clearly who he is. Therefore, they don't expect properly what he has. Our ability to recognize God, our ability to see if the eye is bad, the body is bad. Is full of darkness. It doesn't say the eye is full of darkness. It says what that can affect doesn't get changed because I don't see it for what it is. We see once again that an inability to recognize something keeps us from receiving what God has. We miss what God is doing spiritually. Here's the key. Because we only see naturally. See, you define God moving as in my bills are paid on time. All my needs are met naturally. Uh, I'm never sick. You know, my, my marriage is prospering. But then the second natural things start to change from what we know they should look like, we're moved. That's when we get in positions of God, where are you at? God, why is this happening? Why? Because something in the natural? Well, what did Jesus tell the woman at the well? God is spirit. So what's he saying? If you're going to recognize me, you're going to have to see spiritually. Spiritually. He used a word, or, or uh, the, the Bible used a word for the woman at the well. It said that when she perceived—perceive means to process, perceive means means to understand what I'm seeing. Look at Matthew chapter 13. Matthew chapter 13. We miss what God is doing spiritually because we're only seeing naturally. God is a spirit. Therefore, if I'm going to recognize what he's doing, I've got to be able to see spiritual things. I've got to be able to see spiritually. Matthew chapter 13, verse 14. This is right after Jesus gave the parable of the sower. And the word landed, the seed landed on four different types of soil, but only one was fruitful. And in them, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled, which says, hearing you will hear and shall not understand. Seeing you will see and not perceive. For the hearts of this people have grown dull. The position of my heart determines how I see. The position of my heart determines how I see. What ultimately happened with the uh, the people at Nazareth was a term that we call familiarity. When I become familiar with something, my expectation is limited. Familiarity sets an expectation beforehand. Before I even come into contact with this person, I already know what I'm going to get. I've become familiar. And so it says here that the hearts of the people have grown dull. Their ears are hard of hearing. Their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears, lest they should understand with their hearts and turn, so that I should hear them. But blessed are your eyes, for they see In your ears, for they hear. For assuredly, I say to you that many prophets and righteous men desired to see what you see and did not see it and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. He's speaking to people that have the Messiah standing right in front of them, yet don't even recognize him for who he is. The religious people had developed a hard heart. ...towards Jesus and his message of the kingdom. So they didn't recognize clearly... ...even though they had eyes to see... ...they did not see. They didn't... What does that word mean? To perceive, to understand. They saw something but with a lens... ...that kept them from seeing clearly... ...who he really was... ...and what he really had to offer. And they missed a move of God... That was standing right in front of them. I want to tell you today, there are people, church people, godly people, that are missing moves of God on a daily basis because they're not looking. They have improper lenses. Look at this in the New Living Translation. This fulfills the prophecy of Isaiah that says, when you hear what I say, you will not understand. When you see what I do, you will not comprehend. For the hearts of these people are hardened, their ears cannot hear. They have closed their eyes, so their eyes cannot see, their ears cannot hear, and their hearts cannot understand. They cannot turn to me and let me heal them. They cannot receive anything from me because they don't recognize who I am and what I have to offer. But blessed are your eyes because they see, your ears because they hear. I tell you the truth, many prophets and righteous people longed to see what you see, but they didn't see it. They longed to hear what you hear, but they didn't hear it. Just because we see doesn't mean we understand. In fact, if you go down to Matthew chapter 13, verse 23, where he's explaining the parable, the one that was profitable... The one ground where the seed fell and produced fruit. It says, he who received the seed on the good ground is he who hears the word and what? Understands it. Who indeed bears fruit and produces. Some a hundredfold, some sixty, and some thirty. As for what was sown, this is in the Amplified Version. As for what was sown on good soil, this is he who hears the word and grasps and comprehends it. He indeed bears fruit and yields in one case a hundred times as much as was, was sown 60 times and another 30. Understanding requires a change of focus. Understanding requires a change of focus. I see this happen a lot. Just a couple nights ago, I was in a service down in Florida... And the the minister preached a phenomenal message. And I'm sitting on the edge of my seat just hanging on to every last word. I couldn't write fast enough. And afterwards, um, I got around, you know, went to, ended up going to dinner with the minister and the pastor and a couple other people. And you could just tell, because, I mean, what I heard, it shook me. What I heard was... I mean, the, the whole car ride home, the whole night, the whole next day. I mean, just the past couple nights, I've just been pulling my notebook out, just going back over the notes, highlighting stuff, researching stuff, looking back over the verses. There's something that it does within a person when you see something for what it is. And you can tell the difference. You could tell the difference. I mean, this happened five years ago when we heard... The message of the kingdom, it shakes, it shakes you. Yet there are many times that I've ministered and, and, and even seen other ministers minister it and be in the same room with other people that didn't grab it, didn't see it. I've even seen people get offended at the same message that shook me to my core. Those people get offended and say they're talking about that too much. Because you didn't see it. Because you need a lens. Because comprehension and understanding is what determines fruitfulness. Not going to church. My number one goal, my number one job as a pastor is not to preach. It's to preach in a way that is clear to you. It's got to be clear. There has to be understanding. There has to be comprehension. Now that doesn't mean you won't have to go home and look over it. That it was just so simple the way I laid it out that you got it right there. Usually that's not the case. And even if that was the case, you can receive it with joy and still be unfruitful. Because we didn't meditate on it and keep it in front of us. But comprehension and understanding is what determines and understanding requires a change of focus here's what happens sometimes is we see something but we don't change what we're looking at before that and i've seen this happen in people this honestly this was me five years ago when i heard the kingdom message I immediately began to revert back to everything that had created the lens that was keeping me from seeing things for what they were in the first place. And that's dangerous. I began reverting back. I began going back to what I had been taught as a kid. I've been going back to what I learned in Bible school. I've been going back to what I had heard from well-known, well-renowned ministers. But the only place I should have gone... ...was to the Word. Because Kenneth E. Hagin doesn't determine what I believe. Kenneth Copeland doesn't determine what I believe. Jesse Duplantis doesn't determine what I live by. The Word of God determines what I live by. And if they don't say something that lines up with the Word... ...that gets thrown out. The Word always trumps. The Word is always first place. The Word is always the priority... It has to be. And that was the change I had to make. The comprehension and the understanding was determined by my ability to change my focus. And so I went to a a leadership conference and another pastor was ministering on the kingdom, ministering on the same thing. And he said this, the reason why people are struggling with the kingdom message is because they're trying to filter the kingdom through everything they already know. He said, the thing is, is they're not taking the kingdom and filtering it through the word. Well, that woke me up. This was about four or five months after I initially had heard the kingdom message. That woke me up. And from that day on, I haven't been the same. Some of we we have got to get to messages and we've got to get away from things that just pet us and make us feel good. The word is encouraging, no doubt. But the word of God will challenge everything you see in this world. And if it doesn't challenge it, we may need to look and say, what am I giving myself to? It should be thought provoking. Uh, there should be things that I say that mess you up. There should be things that I say that make you think. Is that in the Bible? It should be that way. It shouldn't just be, man, that was good. Man, Pastor Mark preached a great message, and you should have heard what Pastor Mark. No, it should be, you should have heard the word that was brought today. Because really, I'm just a vessel, guys. This isn't based on me. This isn't based on my knowledge and my ability to, to communicate the word and articulate scripture to you. This is on your ability to line your faith up with the words that are being spoken. Let's look at one more verse, 2 Corinthians chapter 4. When things are out of focus, we miss out. When we don't see things clearly, we miss out on what it has. But when I can get things in focus, when I can see clearly what's right in front of me, now I can develop an expectation for what that thing has to offer me. The better the focus, the better our recognition. The greater my recognition, the greater my expectation. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, we've seen this before. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Even though our outward man is perishing, our inward man is is being renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are, temporary but the things which are not seen are eternal that word those words while we do not look at does not mean to ignore we've seen this before it doesn't mean to ignore it means to change my focus it means I'm not gazing upon this anymore I'm changing my focus to something else I'm changing my focus to the spirit Rather than the natural, we miss God because we only look at the natural. We, our culture has trained us and developed us to appeal more to our flesh than our spirit. Brother Hagin said this, Kenneth e. Hagen said this, he said, God is more real to me than my wife laying in the bed next to me. That is a man that was more in tune with his spirit man than his natural man. And he was a man that never missed a movement of God. Never missed an opportunity for God to move in his life. No matter how great or how small. He's a man that has seen multiple demonstrations of God in his life. Whether it be driving his car on an empty tank of gas coming home from a meeting and getting home even though he didn't have the gasoline to get there, or whether it be Jesus entering his own room and having communication with Jesus himself. This was a man that was more in tune with the spirit realm. This is a man that was never sick a day in his life since God healed him of a heart condition. This is a man that the second a headache would try to come into him and try to have symptoms of a headache, he would speak to it and it would go instantly. No Advil, no ibuprofen, no Motrin. I'm not saying those things are wrong, but this was a man that learned how to appeal to the spirit before the natural. This was a man that saw demonstrations and moves of God in his life that are That look a lot like what Jesus did. Jesus was a man that appealed more to his spirit than his flesh. And that's necessary in this life. Let's look at verse 18 in the message and we'll close. There's far more here than meets the eye. The things we see now are here today, gone tomorrow. But the things we can't see now will last forever there's far more than what meets the eye as believers as citizens of the kingdom of God we have access to another realm we have an opportunity to experience a spiritual God and not be limited to natural circumstances in our lives And God, we're not missing God because he's not moving. I believe God is moving now more than ever. I believe that God is demonstrating himself now more than ever. This man that I was listening to this past week, he said this. He said, our culture has lost the ability to distinguish a true move of God. Because we call miracles coincidence, we call miracles luck. Guys, it's time to start giving God some credit for the things that He's doing in our lives, and stop just and stop just chalking it up to happenstance. You know, I, I don't hear it as much today as I did when I was growing up, but the, the cry of people's hearts was, we want a move of God. Now, you still hear today, we want revival. We want revival in our land. We want to be, we want a revival in our city. You know, sometimes I, I wonder, you know, the fact that you're asking for revival is an admittance that you're dead. Because to be revived means that something's dead. But there are a lot of dead things around us, guys. There are some things that need to be revived. But I think the first thing that needs to be revived is our recognition of when God is moving in our lives. I'll tell you what, you know, over in Matthew chapter 6, I'm closing, I promise. With Matthew chapter 6, Jesus said, Do not worry, do not worry, do not worry, do not be anxious. And the things that he told us to think on and reflect on, They weren't these big, awesome, mighty miracles. He said, look at the flowers. They are more well-dressed than King Solomon himself. Look at the birds. He just told us to look at everyday natural things that we could go look. You could go look at them right now. Go home and start go, start smelling the roses. Start looking at the flowers. Go in your backyard and just watch the birds and just watch what they do. Knowing that your God, that takes care of them, cares far more and far greater for you. We're not missing God because He's not moving. We're, not, we're missing God because... I just want to awaken you tonight. I just want to awaken us. This i am preaching to myself, and you're just getting to hear me preach to myself tonight. Because, especially for us, man, you know, I was talking to another minister. I was like, "We are just so inundated. I mean, I'm—I'm I'm in this thing all the time. I'm in the Bible. I'm in the Word. You know, in ministry and and church and God and Christianity and a Christian relationship and living right and blah 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 blah." It's so inundated that it can become monotonous. It can become routine. I don't want any service here to be routine. I don't want any Sunday morning to be routine. I don't want any Wednesday night. I want this to be something that you walk through these doors with an expectation that God's going to touch me tonight. And I'm not going to build that expectation based upon if we do a healing line and people fall out and people start, you know, speaking in tongues and prophesying and doing all kinds of crazy... But there's an expectation that's drawn from the Word that's just being ministered. I hope you know that the Holy Spirit is moved tonight. I hope you recognize that. I hope you see that clearly. You can walk out that door saying, I was touched by God tonight. Because His Word is more powerful than anything else. His Word is more powerful than than any demonstration that takes place now. Father, we thank you tonight that we have eyes to see, ears to hear what you're doing, what you're saying, what you're demonstrating. Father, we want to understand and comprehend your power in our lives on a daily basis. May we not go Any days not seeing you move, not recognizing an opportunity to put our faith and trust in you. Father, we're tired of going through life and just looking at things, and then when things do go right, we man, I was lucky. I was I was sure lucky to get that spot in the grocery line. No, God placed you in that spot in the grocery line. I was lucky to get all green lights on the way to work so I could get there on time. No, God showed you some favor today. Father, we want to give you credit where credit's due. We want to honor you. We want to praise you. And when we begin to see you move in the small ways, we will better recognize you in the great ways. Father, our expectation is renewed tonight. Our expectation of what You can do and what You will do in our lives, it is renewed within us tonight because we better recognize what You're doing in our lives. Father, I thank You for every person here. I thank You for their sacrifice and commitment to be here on a Wednesday, to hear this powerful Word. I pray that it changes them. I pray it changes their Thursday and their Friday. It changes their weekend. It changes their family. It changes their their work life. It changes everything we do. that's what your word can do in our lives. We thank you for this tonight. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.